Welcome to Pound the Rock, the Scores NBA podcast. My name is Joseph Cacharo, and today I am joined not just by co-host Joe Wolfond. What up, Cash? But by one of the founding members, the founding member of Pound the Rock, now the host of the Raptors show with Will Liu on Sportsnet. It's Will Liu. What's going on? It's always great to be home with you guys. Uh, we appreciate that, man. It's always great. So yeah. you're like t- you're you're 26 episodes early this time. Yeah, you're gonna hold out and wait for number 300. Yeah, you and know, we've, yeah. we've been hitting all the centennial marks with yeah. you on the show, but it's yeah. fine. It's I a think... good time to you know. I know what you guys want to do. Yes. You guys want to trade every Raptors. So no, well, no, we don't. It, we don't. Well, no, maybe... the Raptor show. I, I sound like an auctioneer these days on the show. I'm just like, oh yeah, OG for two picks. Uh, <laughs> do I hear three picks? Do I hear uh, four picks? Oh, no? man. Bring Chris Bosh on as a uh, guest auctioneer. Remember when he did that All Star? Yeah. Um, yeah, Blaine Harrington. Yeah, but he wasn't an auctioneer. That. What was he? He was like a car salesman or something. Yeah, with, with like the big Texan hat. Yeah, bring Chris yeah, Bosh yeah. on and then ask him nothing about his career or anything else, and just have him doing a doing a sales bit for the Raptors. But yes, Will did mention that he knows why we had him on, and and Wolfon mentioned that we usually have Will on on the hundred markers. So maybe we'll have Will on again in a few months when we hit episode three hundred. But we also have him on when we want to talk Raptors. And I think it's been a while since there's been this much doom and gloom when we do talk Raptors, but uh, we got to do it. We got at talk Raptors hit us up on Twitter, tweeting to say that he surprised Wolf and I didn't name the Raptors as one of the teams that needs to make a trade at D Raptors wanted us to address the report. I believe in the Michael Grange story about uh, Masai Ujiri and Scotty Barnes meeting shadow Monarch, big blue, one of our uh, regular supporters of the show wanted me to address the Raptors quote unquote accountability fraudulence at some point. The point is the good people of the greatest country's greatest city need this podcast therapy right now. So we're going to give the people what they want with a Raps related episode. And the reason we got to do it, they're on a six game losing streak, which they haven't done in nine years in a season that was actually being played in Toronto. Okay. Take that relocated Tampa season out. Now, the last time it happened was 2013-14, which was before the Rudy Gay trade um, that sparked a turnaround that really kickstarted the We the North era of excellence that's seen them post the NBA's third best win percentage in the near decade since, the best win percentage in the East since then. They're now 13-18, and 18, 10th in the East, only a half game up on the Bulls for 11th, and five games back of the Knicks in sixth. Who they play tonight? All of which is to say tonight's game, Wednesday, in case you're listening to it on another day, is a very big game. Because while I don't believe one game should necessarily change minds in terms of what we think they should do, the Knicks are on the second game of a back-to-back after rolling the Warriors on Tuesday. They're rolling right now, but I don't think they're actually this good. The Raps are desperate for a win before a tougher road game in Cleveland. If they don't win this and they fall six back of the top six, even with 50 games to go, I think then the questions really start to get interesting or scary, depending on what you think. So, Well, yeah. by the transitive property, the Knicks who just beat the Warriors by 40, after the Warriors beat the Raptors <laughs> by 20, the Raptors are about to get 60-piece tonight. All right, well, we'll see if that math holds up. Oh. So let's get into it. I can start with Will, and we can throw it a wolf on. I don't care how you guys want to start this. I'll sit back uh, after this little intro as the Raptors sit in this wretched state that I've just described. We all know... This team needs three-point shooting and rim protection. Other than those two things, which I think we talk about so much, and we can obviously get into today, but other than those two very obvious glaring things, what is the one or two things that stand out to you about this season's team where you look at them and just say, like, this is why they're not good enough, or this is what I see, and until this is corrected, they've got no chance this year? 
just to quickly go back to the the three point uh, shooting and the lack of it. Um, just open up the basketball reference page for the Toronto Raptors, sorted by best three point percentage. So league average for three point shooting this year is like thirty seven percent, roughly. Outside of Malachi Flynn, who's only taking three threes a game and only he he doesn't play that much. He either doesn't play a lot or he plays a ton. Okay, but rarely is it, is it play, he plays a ton. So I'm going to take him out. The Raptors don't have a single guy even shooting close to league average from three. Their second best shooter is Otto Porter at 35. Pascal Siakam is somehow their th- second best shooter here at uh, 34.6%. Then Gary Trent, then Fred, both at 33. OG's at 33. Scotty's at 32. It's nasty how bad the three-point shooting is. Um, okay, so outside of three-point shooting and rim protection, I would say, to me, just watching the games, you need another player who generates advantages outside uh, of Pascal Siakam. Like, Pascal is doing everything that he can He's drawing double teams. Sometimes he's even scoring through double teams. He's passing out of those. It's actually kind of a miracle that Pascal's having as good of an offensive season as he is while getting literally no help. I think he's only assisted on 24% of his baskets, which might speak to the fact that, okay, he's not really much of a catch-and-shoot threat, although he's actually one of the team's best catch-and-shoot three-point shooters. (laughs) But clearly that's not the bulk of his game. But he's having to do literally all of it himself because of the fact that you know, there are no other guys on the team that generate advantages consistently. Sometimes you see Fred do it. He had back-to-back 39-point games. Sometimes you see Scotty Barnes do it when he's, you know, in the mood for it. Other than that, there's just not a lot of advantage being generated. And especially, I think, from in terms of guard play, the Raptors have had, like, probably the worst guard play in the league. Um, you know, I think Fred VanVleet has obviously a proven track record of being very good, but this season he just hasn't really gotten there. And when he's not there, when Gary's been demoted to the bench and his percentages have dropped as well, you're just not getting a lot of bench production out of the guards either. You you don't have a guy who generates advantages outside of Pascal. And that just makes this team really easy to guard. Like of late, you're seeing the Raptors run offense the way Jason Kidd runs offense through Luka. And Pascal Siakam, even though he's playing great, he's no Luka, you know? So, yeah, it's uh, they got to get more skill based on the team i i I think uh you know potentially just only drafting six nine guys and hoping to teach them offense is is looking like uh the current product that we have and you know the thing that has really irked me especially recently is they don't even have guys who right now at least are attacking effectively off of the catch like the rare times that they are creating advantages they're just like letting those windows close and letting the opportunities pass them by. And it's, you know, if you're looking at the kind of theory of the team, where they're building it out with all these long, big, athletic dudes, that is like the one thing that you should be able to expect them to be able to do consistently. But, you know, I think, like, the game against Philly was a perfect example. All the games that they played against these, like, zone defenses that they can't crack mm. because they can't even penetrate the, the shell at all. And they're just swinging it around the perimeter, getting nothing. Last night, there's like OG Ananobi's running a side pick and roll on the left wing. And all game, Philly is sending aggressive nail help. And so what do you do? You kick it out to the opposite wing. But Fred is standing like 10 feet behind the three-point line. And all he does is hold the ball. And it's just a reset. And the possession goes absolutely nowhere. And again, what did that possession end in? It ended in a heavily contested self-created Pascal Siakam jump shot 
which is like so often what their possessions devolve to because nobody can create anything. They just dump him the ball and ask him to try and create something out of nothing. So it's like, I think that's been an issue for Fred. It's been an issue for Gary. It's been an issue for Scotty Barnes. Who he's, like, he's been like asleep at the wheel a few times on like catching the ball with a chance to either, if not catch and shoot it, tack the closeout, and he's just done neither. It's unbelievable. Has caught it he's, and then stood there like seemingly processing what's happening for a second and a half and then deciding what to do. And by that point, the possession's already gone to shit. Yeah. He, I mean, especially in that Philly game, yeah. was so cripplingly indecisive. And... It's like if you're not even doing anything with the advantages that opposing defenses are kind of willingly giving you, then I don't know. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> you know, and uh, I don't need to to once again harp on the the stat that I know everybody is completely aware of by now. But basically, the Raptors have been either 29th or 30th in half court offense pretty much the entire season. Mm. And I do want to qualify that by saying that stat, at least if it's the one that I, I am familiar with that comes from cleaning the glass, that's just on first shot possession. So it doesn't account for offensive rebounds, which is a big part of the Raptors half court offense. I kind of feel like that should be included because it is still part of a half court possession. So if you factored those in, they would be a lot better than that, I think. But like I've said in the past, that what, what that kind of captures is when the defense is set, when it's not scrambled and it's not chaos, they are completely unable to create quality shots. And like Will just pointed out, even when they are, they're not able to knock them down. So <laughs> there are any number of things that you could point to that are wrong with the offense right now. But I think if you were going to kind of whittle it down to, to one thing, I think advantage creation and honestly advantage extension, like the ability to extend and capitalize on the rare advantages that they are creating. Like both of those are issues right now. Don't forget, by the way, uh, as much as the offense is 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 really really bad to watch, uh, outside of offensive rebounding and transition. Don't forget that they're actually worse in terms of defensive rating for a team that is really built mm-hmm. on defense. So, well, a lot of issues for them. Yeah, and that's where I was going to get into that next. Where I was I was going to say to you guys, like I think the half court offense and the rim protection, I think, are more personnel problems than anything else. But the overall inconsistent team defense is definitely a scheme problem. And I think that's where if there's at least some blame that goes to Nick Nurse and the coaching staff, that's where it would be. Before we get to that, though, I do want to mention, because, you know, talking about them not being able to knock down shots and and that lack of three-point shooting and the math disadvantage they're at when it comes to where their shots are coming from, but also where their made shots are coming from versus the opponent. The last time Wolfon and I were on Will's show on sports, that the Raptors show, which was only a couple weeks ago, I mentioned that despite the obvious roster-related half-court limitations of this team, that given the strides Pascal Siakam has made, both as a creator for himself and for others in the half-court, that if the Raptors' top three-point shooters just started shooting like they usually do, like their career averages, it would at least mask a lot of these issues. It would make them look a lot more, at worst, mediocre, okay? Since I said that two weeks ago, Fred Van Vliet, Gary Trent, and OG Anunoby, now Gary and OG have been in and out of the lineup, but still, those three guys, their top three three-point shooters, the guys they relied on for the majority of their shots, in the two weeks since I made that comment, have combined to go 34 of 113 from deep. That's mm-hmm. 30%. Van Vliet, 19 of 66. Trent, the best one of the bunch, 10 of 30. And OG, 5 of 17. In the case of Fred, it's something I've said before too, where 
even on nights when he's like been better this season, other than those two 39-point games, there really hasn't been a, a game that I can remember this year where he really took over for any stretch of it the way he did last year when he was an all-star. And the moment I keep coming back to is the second game they lost in Orlando out of the two, when Siakam ends up in foul trouble in the second quarter. And I can't remember what how, how many points the Raptors were down at that point. And he, Siakam has to go off for the last few minutes of that quarter, but Fred is still out there. And Fred was actually not having a bad statistical game that night, but he just didn't have the impact he usually does. And I thought to myself that night, like if this was last year, if this was Fred at his best, yeah, you're disappointed or you're like, ah, it's too bad. Siakam has to sit. But you're not really that worried. You're in Orlando. You've got Fred Van Vliet on the court. You're like, they'll be fine because Fred will create something. here. He'll do something enough in these next few minutes to keep this game either within reach or maybe even create advantages for the Raptors. And instead, I had none of that trust. It was like, Siakam's going to the bench. They're getting a lot through him right now. They're cooked. They're going to be down even more going to the half. They're going to lose another game to the Magic. And I think that just Van Vliet's, I don't know if lack of presence is the right word in terms of like his impact. I don't think it's through a lack of trying, obviously. It just hasn't been there for him, whether it's the shooting or other things, a back, I don't know. But to Will's point, Pascal Siakam, as good as he's been, being the only guy who can create advantages, who can impact the game seemingly consistently is not a recipe for success unless you define success as maybe let's get into the play-in. Yeah. And again, this is where if you were a top five team defensively, you could probably still make this work. You know, you could probably yeah. still be above 500. You could be in a playoff position. Uh, and you know what? You We could just be here essentially saying, you know, Pascal might be one of the MVP candidates of the season because, like, without him, the Raptors might score 10 points a game. But, you know, I, I, if they at least defended to their potential, I think that's where you can see this being okay. It, it's, yeah, that's the thing. It's just there's there's problems on both sides of the ball. So, you see losses of late where the Raptors will play well offensively like they did against Sacramento or even against Brooklyn, but they'll lose because their defense sucks. And then you'll, they'll play well defensively like they held uh, the Sixers to 104 points, including overtime on the road on the second half of back-to-back, but they can't win because their offense sucks. So when you suck on both ends of the ball, like it's a real sign that you have significant issues. It's not even just so that if guys hit their – you know, usual averages again from three. I think that's, even if that comes around, I I still do think that part of the reason why people's percentages are down is just that they're not generating enough advantages throughout the course of their offense outside of Pascal Siakam to even get guys consistent, comfortable looks. And then you, you just end up seeing almost like a lack of confidence throughout the team, you know, because they kind of know that like there's going to be a five-minute drought coming once per half. And again, it's hard to win that way. So are we, are we going to trade everyone yet? Is, is well, that what's going on? Well, well, we will get to this. But I do want to ask you guys and hear from both of you. Wolf, we can start with you. The point I mentioned about how the half court limitations and the rim protection issue is more of a roster issue. It's like a personnel issue. Whereas the overall team defense, the inconsistencies with the team defense is a scheme issue. Agree or disagree? Right now, disagree. And okay. that's coming from me. Who's usually who hard know. on Nick Nurse's scheme. Exactly. And that's and that's the thing. I think I'm not crazy about the scheme all the time. I think situationally it can really work. And I do think for the most part, I you know, I think that they could stand to scale back some of their hyper aggressive tendencies. But I do think that with the roster that they have, a lot of it makes sense. Both in terms of its ability to fuel their transition offense and honestly its ability to mask their lack of rim protection. 
So from that perspective, I think it is a combination of a personnel issue and right now an execution issue where I think the point of attack defense has been really bad and just very sloppy. You know, like Fred Van Vliet, typically one of the best point of attack defenders in basketball, has not been up to that standard this year to my eye. Scotty Barnes has been one of the worst point of attack defenders that I've watched this year, to be perfectly honest. And I guess you could point to the coaching staff and say, hey, maybe you should try and get him off the point of attack a little bit more often because he's, you know, allowing so many blow-bys. His footwork, I think, is just kind of sloppy. He's a little bit heavy-footed. He, he doesn't have great balance. He also doesn't understand how to use his length in one-on-one defense on the perimeter. Like, he's pressing up on these ball handlers that are then just dribbling past him rather than playing them with a little bit of a buffer and trusting that he's long enough to still bother the shot. Um but between all that stuff, it's like, I don't know. I guess you, you could pin some of it on coaching, but I really think that a lot of it has just been uh, breakdowns in execution. And I don't know. I don't know that a different scheme would produce a different result, if I'm being honest. Like, what are they going to do? You like, I, Do we really think that playing conventional drop defense with this personnel would have a significantly better effect? Like, they could try to leave some guys home in the corners a little bit more often. But I think, you know, like we've seen what Christian Coloco has looked like in ball screen coverage, you know, and it's not like there's some other ready-made answer in terms of a defensive anchor with Precious Chua out of the lineup. I mean, that's something we haven't really talked about, right? I think that's, if we're talking about the Raptors internal or external projections, and even me, I was skeptical about this team coming into the season, as you know, Cash. But if there was a case to be made for optimism and then, you know, either sustaining what they did last year or taking a step forward, I think a lot of it came down to Precious and what he showed in the second half of last year. And he just hasn't played. And I think that is like, again, you're looking at at players who can theoretically anchor the defense uh, in any type of ball screen coverage. It's just not something that they have right now. So I actually don't think that the, the schematic stuff has been the biggest problem uh, defensively so far. If you just sort of zoom out and and you look at like the big picture, like what what are the numbers telling you about this defense? It's like at least last year when they were playing this style, and it's not just about you know blitzing pick and rolls and like showing all that ball pressure on the perimeter. It's like the aggressiveness at the second layer of defense, where guys are really stunting, helping at the nail, peeling off of the corners, and all this help is going to the middle of the floor to do the rim protection by committee thing. And we know what they're giving up as a result. But at least last year, they were one of the better teams at limiting shots at the rim. But that's no longer the case. They're like bottom 10 in opponent rim volume. And still, they're getting demolished when teams do shoot at the rim. I think 28th in terms of opponent field goal percentage at the rim. So it's like you're, you can't be giving up a ton of threes and getting lit up at the rim. And they still foul like crazy. They're like 100% dependent on generating turnovers defensively right now. Yeah. Yeah, the Raptors are, are are very focused right now on winning the margins of basketball rather than like winning basketball itself. It's like their offensive strategy is like, let's get a shot up. Maybe let's get a good drive to the basket. It doesn't really matter if we make the first shot because that creates a good offensive rebounding chance. Mm-hmm. And then defensively, it's like, let's bring a ton of pressure to the ball. Let's try to catch guys sleeping, probably a little bit of gambling here or there. And then, boom, we're out in transition, and that's when we can score. And it's just like, you're playing a loser kind of game of basketball. I'm sorry. Like, you're just really bad at half-court defense and half-court offense. 
That's like 80% of the game. <laughs> yeah. You can try to maximize and game that 20%. You can turn that 20% of the game into 25% of the game. If you're great and you work so hard, you could turn that into 30% of the game. Guess what? You're still losing 70% of the game because you suck at half-court basketball. And like, that- that's a real issue, you know? So, I mean, I agree with everything that Wolfon's saying there. I think the thing that's really been confusing to me is the fact that the point of attack defense isn't poor for them because this is a roster that they have better defenders. And I think for me, you know, I remember interviewing Nick Nurse at the start of the season and I asked him this question in particular. And I was like, you know, why is your defense so aggressive, right? And his whole thing was just like, I really believe in ball pressure. Like, it's like a philosophy of mine. You know, I really believe that if you let the ball go wherever it wants, then that's going to be a really bad thing. So I'm like, okay, I get that. And of course, no one in theory says like ball pressure is is a bad thing in basketball. But the thing is, you have to apply ball pressure with the understanding that you're not just giving up blow buys, right? And you're not just getting close just to get close. Um, Because essentially, the ball is getting anywhere it wants right now anyway. On top of the fact that you have opposing star players every single night, I literally see them come in and talk about how, oh, I'm playing Toronto. I know what's going to happen, right? Like, you literally saw Joel Embiid, who, whatever. If you want to say Embiid's a little salty, like, I wouldn't be surprised. You know, he obviously is good for a troll tweet uh, quote here or there. But he literally said after the Raptors played them last, quote, when you play a team like Toronto, they don't really care. It seems like most of the time they don't care about winning. They just want to shut down the opposing star player. You know, like, and of course, like, I don't think that's true. I think Nick Nurse will tell you that, like, that's key to winning games is to, like, slow down Joel Embiid. But at the same time, like, you know, I, I think the opposing teams really know it, too. And I think that's maybe for me watching it the last couple of years, that surprise factor is kind of gone. Like, I really do think that other teams know exactly what to prepare for. And and you can compensate for the surprise factor being gone by actually getting better at, you know, half-court offense and half-court defense. And that's just what we haven't seen from this team. So the, the real question is just like, is that growth going to be possible with this group? Is that growth going to be possible with this coach? Can Nick Nurse essentially say, like, there's no reason why the Raptors couldn't play a defensive style, maybe a little closer to Boston. Obviously, Boston has way better defensive personnel and they have way better rim protection. Or even closer to the Clippers, for example, where they have like, you know what? We're going to switch and we're going to switch everything, but we're not going to be so aggressive on the ball. And we'll try to keep the ball in front. You know, we'll give you a little bit of a gap. If you want to take pull-up jumpers, something like that, like, I'm kind of cool with that, you know? And But we're not we're not helping off of every corner shooter. We're not having to bring a third defender over all the time. And can we kind of play that style where we have six nine athletes, let's actually let them defend using their length. To be honest, you know, um, right now, just the way they're playing just doesn't look good. Just, it's, it's not producing good results. And... Uh, I think people are also kind of tired of watching it too. Like that's not an insignificant portion. Like the, the teams do get stale and do get old, even though this is a newer group that we really saw come together last year. When you see the exact same group brought back with the same weaknesses, but almost fewer strengths, people are going to want changes, you know? Yeah. And this is why, like when, when we had that conversation preseason cash and I was sort of pointing out the reasons why I felt like, and I'm not going to pretend like I thought it was going to be this bad. And I also don't think that it is going to continue to be this bad either. Like we're obviously catching this team at their lowest point. And I don't think they're nearly as bad as they have looked recently. And health has had a lot to do with it. But like the exact reasons that I was concerned is that you could look at their offseason moves and look at the way the roster looked and say, all of the issues that were present last year are going to be there again. They have not addressed those really in any shape or form. And 
if you try to just run it back and do the exact same thing and win in the same way, there are going to be diminishing returns. You're not going to catch teams flat-footed in the same way. They know what to expect. And I think, you know, to a certain point, the league has caught up. And also, it's like, it, they're making it harder on their defense right now with with the offense, right? Like, the, the fact that they're putting the ball in the basket so infrequently just means that they're not even getting a chance to get their defense set that often. And then you wind up, you know, it doesn't have to necessarily be like an outright transition opportunity, but you're getting cross matches and things that can make you a little bit uncomfortable. And also, obviously a huge part of their offensive philosophy is crashing the hell out of the offensive glass. So it's like, you know, you're either in a lot of cases just missing a shot and a team can run off of the miss or you're missing a shot and you're having to send two or three guys to the glass to try and keep that possession alive. And then you're back on your heels again, going the other way. Like one thing kind of, I think that we saw this last year with the Raptors where it's really less with them about there being two ends of the floor. Both those ends of the floor are very connected for them in a way that is not the case for a lot of other teams. And what they do at one end is heavily dependent on what happens at the other. And so I think we're seeing their offensive limitations bleed into their defense, which is supposed to be the strength of the team. But I feel like it can't really play up as the type of strength that it could or should be just given the deficiencies at the other end. Yeah. And to me, this is what makes the whole like debate about them as buyers versus sellers interesting because on one hand, yes, you can certainly look at the way the season has gone, what you project their ceiling to be given, especially like, Will, you mentioned if you're bad in the half court on both ends, that's like 70% of the game. And that's like in the regular season, that number yeah. goes up in the playoffs, right? So if yeah. on one hand, I completely understand it's like, they haven't been good. Even if they're not quite this bad, they're probably more like a mediocre team. I think they're, I think they literally have an even point differential. The ceiling in the postseason is definitely capped. If you can't do anything in the half court on either end. And so I understand the argument as sellers because it's like, well, then what, like, what are you hanging on to this core for? On the other hand, the point Wolfon has made a couple times this season about how the Raptors didn't really address any of the weaknesses that they had to like really stretch themselves to overcome last season and, and miraculously did it with the possession advantage and all that. Them not addressing those weaknesses makes me wonder, do Masai Ujiri, Bobby Webster, and this front office maybe look at it the other way where it's like they can ask themselves, have we really given this core the best chance to do something, right? Like, have they really put this core in the best position to succeed this season? My answer to that would be no. Now, I'm not completely absolving the best players on the team, obviously. Like, we've talked about how Fred Van Leet hasn't been good enough. Siakam has been great. But when you look at the way they supplemented, or rather failed to supplement the roster around them, knowing full well what the limitations were coming out of last year, I think you can make the argument they haven't really put their best foot forward. With Siakam and Anobi and Van Vliet on the court, they're winning their minutes pretty comfortably. I think they're at about like a plus four net, which might not seem that great, but it's also, for example, like you look at the Knicks who are rolling right now. I think they're like five games over 500. I don't quite think they're actually that good. It's like you look at them with their best three players on the court, right? With Brunson, who's playing great, with Randall and Barrett, they are losing those minutes. So I, I do understand why some people could still look at this Raptors team and this core with Siakam and Anobi, maybe even still Fred, definitely obviously with Scotty, and say, no, that you can actually make some tweaks, supplement the very obvious holes, and go forward with that. Having said that, we know that's not how it works and, and what 
the kind of conversations people want to have when it comes to like blowing it up or whatever. So I'll provide a little more context and then I'll once again throw it to you guys. I had them coming into the year in the low, like 50 to 52 wins, somewhere between like the two, three, four seed in just regular season wise, not even talking playoff ceiling. If they played the way I thought they did coming into the season, the rest of the way, they could probably still get to like mid 40s, which should get them in the top six, I think. But that's a foolish way to look at it because you can't say, well, if they just play the way I thought they would, you know, back a few months ago, you got to go by kind of what they've shown. And by that, I do think they're more of like a 500 team, which puts them in the play-in in the East, which obviously is going to lead to everyone bringing up the clip of Masai Ujiri saying play-in for what? A couple of years ago when the Raptors did tank, end up with Scotty Barnes. I do think some context is necessary though, because two years ago in Tampa, first of all, they were in Tampa. Second of all, you had an expiring Kyle Lowry. You had a lot more uncertainty around what they had in Pascal Siakam. You obviously didn't have a Scotty Barnes in the mix yet, or a Precious Achua, or even now a Christian Coloco. Um, There was, I think, a more uncertainty in terms of what OG Ananobi could be versus right now. Whereas now, Siakam has established himself very much. This is the real deal. Like, he is a real deal All-NBA caliber player with a year left on his term. OG Ananobi is clearly something, right, as like a two-way player with multiple years left of team control after this season. They now have Barnes, Achua, Coloco, some very interesting young talent. I think Masai Ujiri would even admit the play-in for what mantra, I think, like needs some context and nuance. And I don't quite think this year is, not quite, they're nowhere near where they were two years ago in terms of the need to look at it like play-in for what. So with all that said, are you looking at it, Will, as the same thing, like play-in for what? If they're if they're going to be a 500 play-in team, like, blow it up or do you see kind of the nuance of what I'm saying where it's like being a play-in team with this core as annoying as it might be to watch isn't the same as being a play-in team two years ago like there is still something to build on being in the shitty middle of the standings doesn't always mean a team is stuck in the middle right like yeah because when I think of teams like that it's like teams that are in the middle of the standings with not a lot of young talent not a lot of flexibility limited draft capital and this team is far from that Yeah, no, I agree with that. I agree with that. And and I think, too, you have to look at it like there is still like part of the reason why you had them at 50 low 50 wins uh, and I had them at the same range is because of the fact that they have young players that you expect to sort of take a take a step. Now, of course, that hasn't happened with Scotty. That hasn't happened with Precious. So that happened. uh, That hasn't really happened with the Raptors overall. But at the same time, like you do still expect that these guys do have that in them and you just never know when young guys fully make that jump. Sometimes they got to go through the league once and really get humbled. And then they put in that work in the off season and they actually truly improve and make good of the potential that they have. Because sometimes we just kind of assume that these guys will, will take that stuff when they don't. So for that reason, that alone doesn't make me feel like the Raptors are stuck in the middle. When you have a blue chip prospect like Scotty, if you have poor results early on, that doesn't mean that you need to then blow it up or even blow it up to the to the way that you sort of trade away everyone and sort of recenter around Scotty. I think that'd be the worst thing for his development. It would really ex- expose just how limited he is offensively as an offensive like generator. And I think that would actually hurt his confidence even more. I think the better way to develop him is the way that the Raptors have been trying to right now, which is you have an established offensive system around him. Guys who can generate, guys who can take attention off of Scotty, and then he could play within that while then slowly giving him reps or even occasionally giving him reps. Or when he's in one of these moods where he takes over the entire quarter, it's like, okay, we're going to step aside. You got this. You want to go head to head with KD? You know, 
go ahead, you know, and, and and he did it. It was great to see, right? But I think that you need sort of that shelter around them. He's the way I'm looking at him is like he's a kid and you need like kind of parents on the team to sort of like make sure that things are actually okay around it. So for that reason, I don't think they're like in that truly, truly rebuilding kind of cycle or anything like that. The other thing too, for me, is just like Pascal's playing so well, like this is the whole reason why you would tank in the first place to get someone as good as Pascal is right exactly. now. So I'm not doing anything to to lose pascal if, if anything else i'm actually trying to add pieces around him and the way i'm looking at it is okay so you need a center because if your core three is going to be pascal og and scotty and none of those three guys really com- feel comfortable playing center are that effective playing center or they lose a lot of their effectiveness playing center get them a center okay it doesn't really matter ideally you have one that could shoot the three as well ideally you can put Marcus all in the time machine and bring him back to the Raptors. He'd be so good. I keep saying it, but Miles Turner, like, I know, I don't know what it would take to get him at this point. I've been on record saying the Pacers should actually be trying to keep him long-term, but I don't know what it would take yeah, for sure. a team like the Raptors, but like Miles Turner combination of rim protection and three point shooting. You would still need obviously like better guard play and other, it wouldn't fix everything, but my God, would it be perfect for what ails this team? Well, I, I've seen the Raptors linked to Chris Tapps Brzingis in the past. Is is does not is that not also a little bit of rim yeah. protection and, and, and three point shooting? In fairness, Porzingis has been really good this season. Yeah, he's having a nice year. I, I think Washington made a really good trade to get him at a point where his value was probably at his absolute very lowest. But you need that. And then I think to be honest, like you have to look really hard at Fred this year. I think the Raptors have developed him. He has done Everything like it literally didn't cost the Raptors a single thing to get Fred VanVleet, and he has just given the Raptors plus production at every single year of his career. But then now, right on the edge of when he's about to get paid in a significant way, it's starting to remind me of like an Isaiah Thomas situation, you know, where it's like, yeah, you know what, you've been so good to us again, you didn't cost us anything, like we really owe you and all that kind of stuff. But it's like, I need you to play at a very, very elite level still for us to give you this money. And not even just give you the money, because I'm not worried about that. I think Fred deserves the money. He'll probably still get the money, even if it's not from Toronto. But you need a really, really top-tier guard to eventually join this group. Because if you're 3-4-5, or actually, no, if if you're 2-3-4 is OG, Scotty, and Pascal, that's pretty good. And then if you get like any sort of low usage five that defends well, I think that's I'm pretty happy with that as well. But you still need a really, really good guard to pair with that group. And I think last year's Fred, when he was an all star, perfect. I actually would have been thrilled with that. But if he can't get back to that, if he doesn't show the Raptors that for like a month straight, at least before he goes into free agency, you really have no idea what you're supposed to be doing with that because he's playing on a level right now where he might have to pick up the player option. So that's the question for me, especially when I'm watching games where he's shooting like two of 11 from three. I don't think it will come to that for him. And I don't think that it's, you know, quite an Isaiah Thomas level situation. Obviously, we'd never that, that know. Was, that was different. Team. There was like a super big injury. I just I just mean yeah. that like a guy who means a lot to your franchise, who you probably will need to pay a ton to, at, yeah. at an age that you don't necessarily want, but you know you get real hesitant, and then hopefully it doesn't go down that route. I, I I really do feel bad for what happened to Isaiah. Well, yeah, I mean, Jesus Christ, who doesn't? That was like one of the most precipitous declines that we've ever seen yeah. from an NBA star. But I think this is what makes this crossroads that the Raptors are at, and maybe they don't see it that way. Maybe they're not 
in their minds at a crossroads and they're willing to just ride this out because they feel like they have a long enough runway. And I don't think they would necessarily be wrong to think that in spite of what you mentioned about them not being enjoyable to watch and the fan base being super antsy. I think that they would have good reason to take a bit of a longer view. Yeah. The fan base being antsy doesn't change the fact that they're selling out every single game out, you know, exorbitant prices. So yeah. And I'm like, I'm not saying that's the only way that we should no, be looking of at it. Of either, course, I'm just saying like, if I'm saying if you're talking about like an organization thinking about like, oh no, yeah. the fans are getting antsy. They're not worried about like what we're saying or what people are saying on Twitter. They're looking at, they're like, right. oh, they're getting, they're, they're upset, but we still have 20,000 people paying like some of the highest prices in the league every night. We don't consider that antsy from our perspective. Well, and I think just in general, you don't want your front offices to be as reactionary right. as the fan bases exactly. because that would lead to some very bad decisions. Yes. But I do think what puts them in such a tricky spot right now is if you look at the situation, like Will's hit it on the head, right? Like, like they need a really high level guard, but they also need a quality big man. And it's very tough to address both of those things. Like they're not going to do it in one fell swoop. It's not going to happen this year. Mm-hmm. It's going to be a multitude of moves that happen over time. And even then it's going to be really challenging to pull it off in a way that kind of completes the team. Uh, they're still going to be relying on internal development to a large degree. It's like even looking at it this year and some of the targets that people have thrown out that they want the Raptors to chase, Miles Turner being one of them, you know, Jakob Pertl being another. It's like, okay, well, at the very least, Gary Trent is going out in one of those deals. You know, if the, if the move winds up being Gary Trent in a first round pick for Jakob Pertl, okay, great. Here you have like the center that you need. But in terms of like helping them this season, we've talked about their limitations in terms of shooting. I know, like, I'm not a huge Gary Trent fan, and I think it makes sense to trade him because he is about to become a free agent, and I don't know that he fits the long-term vision, but is dealing, you know, your second-best shooter going to make things better for this team in the present? Probably not. And, like, I think, again, it makes sense to explore options with Fred Van Vliet just because you do have to think about whether you want to pay his next contract. And in terms of like, I don't think there's anything dramatic coming, like trading Pascal Siakam. That's not going to happen. Yeah. doesn't make sense. Unless the all. Raptors think superstar he's... squarely in his prime. Exactly. Unless they think he's yeah. going to fall off an absolute cliff at age 30. Like I don't even want to hear the timeline talk. Yeah. He's seven years older than Scotty. He's also a 28 right. year old at this point, perennial all NBA player. Like he's fine. You don't trade that unless you actually right. have reason to blow it up. You're one of those stuck in the middle teams. I, they're not that. So there, I don't think anything seismic like that is going to happen. Now, if this, you know, Donovan Mitchell like package is actually out there for OG Ananobi, as Zach Lowe suggested it might be, then I think hey, you have man, to the, do the that. The price might to... be right. The price might be right if it's that level, man. <laughs> yeah. If it's that level, you trade OG Ananobi. I'm skeptical that that's actually the case, but I, I think ultimately it's going to be. Like those are the two guys in in Fred and Gary that they have to explore trading. But we've talked about how thin they are at guard already. So if they do trade one or both of those guys, it's just going to get that much worse. And so if we're talking about improving the team this year, it's really hard to come up with a trade framework where they aren't creating or exacerbating a problem elsewhere in order to address another one. 
You know what I mean? Like if they want to address the the big man issue, they're probably going to be exacerbating the issue with guard depth, assuming that they're not going to touch, you know, their core three of, uh, you know, of OG, Pascal and Scotty. So that's what makes it a challenge to actually get better this year. And if you are then saying, okay, forget about this year, we're going to look more long-term, it hurts. It hurts to waste a year of Pascal's prime with the way that he's playing right now. And I'm not saying, you know, he could continue playing like this for the next three, four years, and he could keep doing it in a Raptors uniform. And maybe you look at this season as, okay, whatever. We had one of these years where he was playing like a a superstar and all NBA player, and we didn't make the playoffs, and that's not the end of the world. If we wound up making the team better for the next three or four years that he's here doing the same thing. But that's still a tough decision, you know, to to look at your superstar in the eye and be like, we're going to take a step back this year even though you've been carrying us and doing it every night while operating in a, a phone booth. Uh, sorry, but it's going to get that much harder. And now you're going to be facing quadruple and quintuple teams instead of double and triple teams. <laughs> that's hard, you know? Yeah. And so I think that's why they're in a tough spot. And it's it's very hard to suss out what they're actually going to do and which direction they're going to go in. Because there's a lot, of, a lot of factors and kind of a lot of balls in the air right now. I think... They could, especially if it, you know, if this does actually snowball out of the out of control. I'm not convinced it will, but if it does, for sure, I think they will pivot to some like regressive moves in the short term, some more future minded deals. I think the biggest of those though would still be Fred at the most, and even that I think would be something that probably waits for the off season, whether it's a sign and trade or something. Not like I, I'd be surprised if they trade Fred in season, but if they're going to do something close to what the fans are calling blowing it up, that's what it would be. It would not be this like scorched earth thing where every player except Scotty is on the table. Like I, I really don't see that happening. And also the thing too is like, again, while the record doesn't show it, there is too much talent on the team to fully bottom out, even if you start taking pieces away, like especially given the league right now, even if they were to really continue to stink it up, I have a hard time pegging them much lower than like 11th in the East and maybe like 7th, 8th, ninth worst overall record. So you also have to look at it as like, you know, whether it's you talk about wasting a Siakam season or blowing it up when you don't need to quite go that scorched earth. Like, would you really want to do that for the 8th or ninth best lottery? It's like, we're not talking about a team that is actually that close to what the bottom four, five, even six will be this season. And I think that all has to be taken into context when people just like stoop to the very easy, well, team is underperforming expectations, look like a play-in team, and therefore everyone must go except like the absolutely youngest players. Like it just doesn't work like that. And front offices don't work like that. And quite frankly, I I don't think this team is going to work like that. Um, But I guess my final question for you, Will, and then Wolf on as well is, Given everything we've talked about today, given the buy, buyer versus seller debate, put it all on the table. If someone asked you right now, like forget this, look towards like next year and maybe a couple of years down the line, what you consider the Raptors future core to be. Like, is it Barnes, Siakam, and Anobi? You know, do you still slide Fred in there? Do you take Fred out of it? Like, what would you say right now if someone asked you, what is the Raptors three or four player future core two years from now? Two years from now, I, I think it's really just Pascal and Scotty right now on the current roster. But you Maybe, still, but you do put Pascal in that, of course. Yeah, of course. I, I really don't see anything in, in his game that suggests that it's going to be a physical tail off for him. I think you have to consider people's mentalities too. I think with Pascal, he's shown you the aptitude to continue to improve. 
the way I'm looking at his career is the way I looked at the Rosen's career. You know, like he had at every single step, he wanted to add something to his game. And that's how he continues to elude aging, even though he's already one of the oldest players in the league. But he continues to be so effective because he keeps adapting his skill set and improving it. And that's how I see Pascal. So I'm I'm pretty comfortable with sort of paying him into his early 30s um, and keeping him as a core piece. Well, look, with Scotty, I'm just going to try to accept that this season was just sort of like a, a misfire and, and hopefully he turns it around. But if he doesn't, you know, you have the offices and you regroup and you really come back in a lot stronger. You want to see a much better handle from him. You want to see just even probably a much better attitude overall from him, you know, just in terms of like there are games where he fe- it feels like he's taking ownership of what's happening for the Raptors. And then there are games he's just like kind of sits off to the side, you know, and to be honest, I, I'm not okay with any of the Raptors who are going to eventually be main players for me. Like, I'm talking about one or two that just sit off to the side. Even when Fred sucks, he's like, it's still, this is still like a thing that we have to solve and I feel responsibility in it to solve it. You never see Fred just like, okay, I'm off to the side, you know? So I need to see that from Scotty. And that's probably just more maturing to do as somebody who's 21, but he has that talent that you do need to always try to invest in past that you know like i would put og in that group but then again if, if the price is what it is right now because to me it's like if if that's what people are willing to pay for og Ananobi, that tells me that people are willing to pay the max for og Ananobi. so if you're going to keep yep. og long term you got to pay him the max so the max is probably gonna be like 40 for og if pascal makes all nba he's gonna be at 50 you're gonna pay 90 million dollars for those two like uh you know I, would, I, would i say og is 80 percent as good as pascal i wouldn't yeah, no, I think that's a good point. And, and a, to be clear, I think he will get the max. What, he, what oh, he's level getting the, the max. max. Yeah, yeah. And this is the thing, and I know we all don't love talking about players in these coldly analytical terms, but the fact of the matter is, I think you can make a pretty good case that he's never going to have more value than he has now on this current contract. Like this is an extremely team friendly deal that he's on for the rest of this season and next year. Mm. And once that new contract kicks in, if it is indeed a max or even a near max, it's just, it's not as desirable an asset. And again, I hate referring to players as assets or, or talking about their value in terms of what they make. Players should make what they can get. Yep. But if we're talking about him as, uh, you know, a, a trade piece and what that could bring back, you're not ever going to be able to get back what you could get for him now. So I'm not saying that, that means the Raptors should trade him. I would be perfectly happy with them paying his next deal and him just being part of the core moving forward because he's amazing. But I think if you are thinking about this season and potentially next season too as more bridge years, then that's something you have to consider. Like it, it has to be at least on the table. So I kind of agree with Will in that it might just be Pascal and Scotty. But first of all, I'm not going to say that this season hasn't taken a little bit of wind out of the sails on the, you know, the, the Scotty hype. I guess it would be a hype boat if I'm talking about sales. I don't want to mix my metaphors here, but yeah, it's taken some of the wind out of the sails. But in terms of my like long-term optimism, I wouldn't say that it's dimmed all that much. And I even said to you at the start of the year, Cash, that I kind of thought that his development wasn't going to be super linear and that it was going to be more incremental. I would have hoped to have seen him at least like take a little bit of a step forward or at the very least plateau rather than take a step back as he's done this year. But in the long term, I'm still very optimistic about him. But I do think what's really important, especially in the short term, as he builds out that skill set, you know, as a creator for others, as a self-creator, he needs other guys around him that 
can create advantages for him and put him in spots to succeed. And I feel like that's been a big part of the struggle this season. It's like they wanted to shoehorn him into that role as a point guard. We saw how much he struggled with Pascal out, especially. And I think adding more shot creation to this team would go a long way toward helping Scotty Barnes ease into his transition to being more of like a playmaking forward. And rather than just like right now, I think his skill set is more conducive to being a play finisher. And rather than just having him operate in static post-ups and just having to create everything for himself, I, I think it would be really beneficial to have more players on the floor who could create stuff for him. I'm not in disagreement that Siakam and Barnes are the, the two guys that I can confidently say are the core. Uh, I'm leaning more to, towards having OG in that core than maybe you guys are, but I also completely agree that if if that low, I don't know if you'd call it a report or mention on the pod, is true, that OG mm-hmm. and Obi can fetch you anywhere near a Donovan Mitchell trade package, then I'd say the core is just Siakam and Barnes. Yeah. Uh, and again, it's 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 not about OG's skill set specifically. It's really just about, as Wolfon said, it's it's the moment in time in which you are getting moved because he is the rare guy who can fit on a lot of con- uh, contenders immediately, but his contract's low. They don't have to give up that much outgoing salary, you know? Like, he would be a championship-completing piece for Phoenix. He'd be a championship-completing piece for, honestly, Brooklyn. If Brooklyn was somehow able to get OG without having to sacrifice some other, like, the, it, it would be so good for them, Right. Um, you know, you could put them in Cleveland. They would be a championship contender in Cleveland. It would instantly solve their biggest issue. You yep. could put them in New Orleans, and that team would be just terrifying with him. So you could literally go down the list, and you could see why there's if he would ever be available ahead of the trade deadline, why there would be an increased demand because you would need to beat out all these other offers. Like he'd be the number one player on a lot of teams boards. We even saw that in the offseason when Portland tried to go for him and Toronto had the seventh pick available to them and Josh Hart. And they said no, because that was not the right time to get rid of him. The time might never be right to get rid of him. You, if you really believe in, he's going to take that next step offensively, then he's probably worth a max player to you. But right now he's worth that to some other team. Yeah. You know, he's going to be the guy where if a team wins the finals and OG Anobi's on it, you're going to give him that Andrew Wiggins type of love that he got last year with the Warriors. And to be honest, I think OG's even better than Andrew Wiggins. Yeah, so, so do I. And I also just want to say, just because we've been we've been super negative about the Raptors on this entire episode, which is deserved given the way that they've played lately. I actually don't think we've been that. I think we've been pretty balanced. I think that this is still a good team. And I think if they can get healthy which is a big if. I we, I don't know when Precious is coming back. Otto Porter, you know, their big off-season addition, has like barely played. And I mean, that's Otto what Porter. What a shock, you, know, you, man. you can't necessarily expect <laughs> I can't, that. I didn't see that coming. <laughs> but I do think Fred will be better. Like he will shoot the ball better. He just has to. Like his track record is so long at being an elite, especially a catch-and-shoot three-point shooter. I was listening to your episode with Blake from yesterday, Will, where you're talking about his catch-and-shoot like shooting numbers this year compared to the rest of his career, and it's just insane. Like, guys, that just doesn't happen. Uh So I think he will be better. I think that will solve a lot. I think this team will ultimately... Like, yeah, maybe they'll be a play-in team. That's assuming, obviously, that they keep the core together for the rest of the season. And to your point about, you know, play-in for what, is this really worth it? I think there are degrees to that, right? It's one thing to be a play-in team on the level that Charlotte was last year where you're a 10 seed and you get blasted in the first play-in game and that's it. 
and being, you know, like what Minnesota was last year, where they were a seven seed, won a really emotional play in game over the Clippers, and then had a super fun, competitive, hard fought series against the Grizzlies, right? Like that's, there's a big difference there. Mm. And I do think they are much closer to being that type of, you know, like seven seed that is going to have a competitive first round series than they are to being one and done in the play in. So, I think things will ultimately turn around to an extent and look a lot better than they do now, but that won't change the fact that there are significant flaws with this roster that need to be addressed sooner rather than later. I had talked about like the context needed for the play and for what thing in terms of like the future and where your team's going, but that's a good point in terms of like, even in the short term, in the year you make the play in, there are varying levels of it. And that's why I think it is like a very lazy narrative that people keep throwing out there as like, Raptors are a playing team and Masai Ujiri once said play in for what? Oh, it's definitely going to like, they're going to blow it up. It's like, you really think Masai Ujiri like doesn't have context and doesn't use nuance with these decisions. You really think he's looking at it being like, yeah, play in for what is my mantra. That's it. My team is in seven to 10 range. Got to blow it up. Like that's just, that's not how it works. Yeah. Um, they also came after Masai for saying, you know, we need a culture reset and then not actually changing the roster. Yeah. Oh, and then yeah. the team that very season went out and had its best regular season ever. And yeah. we know how that season ended, but it also led to them acquiring Kawhi Leonard a year later, you know? So uh, I, I think he knows what he's doing, even though I haven't been 100% on board with the way that he's built this particular team. I think there is still a great level of trust in his capabilities as a, <laughs> as a, a team president and in, in terms of his basketball vision. Yeah. All right, in true pound the rock fashion, we told Will we'd keep him for forty five, and we're yeah, sitting here at the, the fifty five, fifty six minute mark. We gave you an early hard out. It's all good. I know <laughs> yeah, what I mean, it is. <laughs> uh, Wolfon and I will take the break, then come back with make or miss and, and a fan shout out. But uh, gotta give love to Will, the best doing it in the game in Toronto, covering the Raptors. We know that. You know that. Um, for these zero point zero one percent of Raptors fans that don't already know. You can watch Will on the Raptors show with Will Do on Sportsnet, on the Fan 590, on radio. And of course, you can listen to that in podcast form wherever you get your podcasts. Will, any, anything else you want to add here before we let you go? No, man. Um, pound the rock, as well, always, you know, forever. And uh, no, I'm just I, 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 like I, every single time I come on, I tell you guys this, but uh, very proud that you guys continue to do the show and find your voices. And you guys have done big things. and. Yeah, no, I'm just really happy, man. We appreciate you, brother. Appreciate you you being a proud father to me, despite being like eight yeah, years you, my you, junior. It's, it's all good. <laughs> uh, You're all my blog children. It's all good. No, I'm kidding, man. I'm actually Cash's blog children. Well, listen, man, we're very proud of you, too. You're doing fantastic work over Thank at Sportsnet. You. We, and you also, just said, you just said this. <laughs> hey, if our listeners don't know, if you didn't have a reason to tune into Will's show already, tune into Pound the Rock Wednesdays once a month oh, yeah. on yes. the Will Lou. I'm happy we Raptor secured show. that. Yeah. Um, no, we really need it. The and reviews are really strong, man. Everyone was like, finally, someone's here to give sensible takes. <laughs> uh, shout out Alex Wong as well, who produces the Raptor show with yeah. Will Lou. Whatever the opposite of a shout out is, though, that's what Alex gets for his pronunciation of Tiramisu. Don't think I didn't hear that no. on the recent banter pod. <laughs> tiramisu? Yeah. It was horrible. I, but I, uh, I, I call Alex. Alex uh, get well soon, buddy. Get well soon. I know you're. I know you're gonna be listening to this. You know, you gotta understand. No one's a bigger pound the rock listener than Alex Wong, man. I, back to, back to the days when he used to literally sit in the back of the recording studio and not be on the podcast and just sit there and listen. 
Just sit there and enjoy. Yeah. So I, I know uh, he's doing that. I have called Alex an honorary Paisan before, and then he goes and pronounces Tiramisu like that. This is going to get me in hot water the way, like, Donnie Brasco style, when you in, in, when a mobster introduces a guy as a friend of ours, and then he ends up screwing the family over. This is the, the, the hate I'm going to get, the heat I'm going to get in the Italian-Canadian community for calling Alex Wong an honorary Paisan and then having pronounced Tiramisu like it was... I think you would call Alex a Fugazi in that oh situation. Oh, my God. I can't, oh, wait, I can't do my guy like that Why did you say it like that, man? I can't do my guy like that ever. Why don't you put a T in Fugazi? <laughs> I can't do my guy, guy like that. Dirk Fugazi. <laughs> Shout out, Alex. Uh, definitely can't call him a Fugazi, but I do like that Wolf Wand uh, brought it up. All right. Well, we're going to let you get out of here. Thanks again, man. We appreciate you. Wolf Wand and I will take the break. Come back with some make or miss. What's up, Pound the Rock listeners? Just a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also check out the Scores Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone. And in case you haven't already, download the Score app, available on iPhone and Android. That's where you can find all of our feature content, as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. And don't forget to check out the Score's YouTube page for an informative, yet lighthearted dive into the sports world's trending topics. Now back to the show. All right, Wolfon and I are going to hit you with a quick make or miss and fan shout out before we get out of here. So to remind our listeners how make or miss works, we alternate throwing random takes out there and then we tell each other, preferably in 60 seconds or less, why that take is either a make or a miss. So I'll start us off. 2021 number one pick Cade Cunningham is hurt again. Rookie of the year Scotty Barnes, as we've discussed in today's Raptor-centric episode, has regressed at least a bit in his sophomore season. Evan Mobley's a defensive beast, but I'm still not as sure as everyone else. He's quite a two-way beast, as everyone else seems to think he is or will be. Jalen Green, I think, will be a really good scorer for a long time, but he is a big part of why that Houston team plays losing basketball. Him and KPJ in the backcourt make some of the lowest IQ b-ball decisions you'll see on a nightly basis. Go down the list. It goes on and on, which leads me to this. Make or miss, Joe Wolfond. Franz Wagner is currently the best player from the 2021 draft class. Uh, I'd still call it a miss. I would still take Mobley ahead of him. And I think there's a case that you could still take Cade ahead of him too. In spite of, you know, we talked on the last episode about why we feel like Cade's first couple of years in the league have been a bit of a disappointment. Uh, it's tough. Franz has been really, really good. And, and what he has shown as a creator at his size, I think he has tremendous feel for the game. But certainly Mobley, I just think in terms of what he's able to do defensively, I know you said you don't really see him as being a two-way beast right now, but I do think he's made strides at the offensive end of the floor. It's tough to judge because he is playing with two fairly ball-dominant guards who are obviously going to soak up most of the on-ball touches on that team. So that gives him kind of limited space to explore you know, the breadth of his offensive capabilities. But I think in terms of how he fits in to their offense, he's done it just about as well as you could ask him to do it. He's asked to do less offensively than Franz Wagner is, but I don't think that necessarily means that he's a worse offensive player, even at this point in time. And I just think the defense is so high level. I don't think there's much of a case for Franz being ahead of him, but that's to take nothing away from what Franz Wagner has shown this year. And I think whether we're talking right now or whether we're talking about long-term projections, he's certainly made a case for being, you know, one of the very best players 
in this class. But uh, yeah, that's all That's all I've got on that one. So why don't I hit you with my first make or miss? We're looking at the Eastern Conference cash. I see both New York-based teams currently in the top six in the East and on a combined 14-game win streak. We got six straight wins for the Nets, for the Nets eight straight wins for the resurgent New York Knicks. And I'm wondering how real you think this is. So let me put it to you like this, Cash. Make or miss, both New York-based teams, by the end of the year, will be in the top six, out of the play-in, making the playoffs proper. That's a miss. The Nets will be there. The Knicks will not. Uh, Look, credit to them for winning the games. You got to do that. Big part of how you get there. But it is still early enough that I think you can look at indicators and process more than just results in terms of trying to figure out where things are going to go for the rest of the season. And for the Knicks, well, they have, look, they've been better. There's no doubt about that. Jalen Brunson has been worth every penny for them so far. I still don't think their overall performance or quality matches their record right now. And this win streak, I mentioned it uh, as part of our discussion with Will Lou, but like they're losing the minutes with their three best players on the court. They're just not this good. And that doesn't mean they're not, they're like a solidly average team that should be in the play-in and might might be able to play their way into the playoffs. But top six after 82 games in this Eastern Conference, I don't think the Knicks are there despite what this winning streak and you know a recent blowout of the Curryless Warriors would tell you. I, I agree with you in terms of the quality of the Knicks and like whether or not I believe in them as that top six type of team. But then I'm looking down the standings at the teams below them and also wondering which of them is really like realistically going to surge and overtake them. I guess Miami would be, you know, one possibility there. And ultimately I do think probably Miami is a little bit better than the Knicks are, but I could totally see them finishing top six just due to the ineptitude of the teams behind them. Like Atlanta has been a massive disappointment to me so far. And I don't know. I think it could very well happen. Even if we don't ultimately believe that the Knicks are that caliber a team. You kind of got to look at who they're competing for that spot with, right? Yeah, fair. All right. My next one is something that I've asked as part of a, a different discussion when we were talking Nuggets. I've made a video about this now, but I want to present it to you as a make or miss and not even so much about the end of the year anymore as right now. And that make or miss is that Nikola Jokic is averaging roughly 25 points, 11 rebounds, and nine assists on 69% true shooting, the highest true shooting percentage ever for a 20-plus points-per-game season in NBA history for what is now a first-place team in the Western Conference while owning by far the league's highest on-off net and now the league's highest raw plus-minus. So make or miss Joe Wolfond. Nikola Jokic, two-time reigning most valuable player, is once again, as we speak, the league's most valuable player. Probably got to do this to me, man. You know that I hate awards talk this early in the season you're gonna make me do this with it with the proverbial gun to my head yeah okay so i will call it a make that's tough because i think if like i'm kind of factoring in steph curry's injury here even though i shouldn't because we're just talking about the point of the season that we're at right now i kind of do think on balance steph's been a little bit better so maybe it's a miss but if it is it's a very narrow miss i think he's been right there as you know one of if not the most valuable player in the league but the one thing that is kind of making me a little bit hesitant there 
is just, despite, as you mentioned, them being the number one seed in the West right now, and despite him being obviously the biggest driver of that by several orders of magnitude, and all the stuff I mentioned about, you know, it's not just about how poor they are when he's off the court. It's about how good they are when he's on the court and how essentially you can put him with any combination of players on that team and they're still incredible. But anytime you take him out of the mix, they're terrible. It's like he is pretty much the sole driver of their success right now. In spite of that, I still just think his defense has been super disappointing, especially compared to the kind of level he got up to on that end last year. And if he's really going to sell me on him being, you know, the, the, three-time repeat MVP winner, I would like to see him tick up the intensity level at that end of the floor a little bit more. And I actually didn't watch their game against Memphis last night. I got to go and do a rewatch of that game. Uh, Or I guess it wouldn't be a rewatch, just a watch of that game because I missed it. But they held the Grizzlies to 91 points. So I want to see how he looked defensively in that game. But up to that point, you know, they've been 27th, 28th in defense for most of the year. And as the guy in the middle of all that, I think he's been a significant culprit and that makes it difficult for me to anoint him as, you know, the most valuable player in the league when the, you know, vast majority, if not all of his value has just come at one end of the floor, but it does speak to how good he's been at that end of the floor that he still is very much in that conversation in spite of the defensive limitations. Yeah. And my rebuttal to that would be, while I don't disagree with anything you said about the defensive concerns in terms of like, being a knock against him in something like the MVP case, I think the team would have to be struggling more overall for that to be part of the knock. Like, if he hasn't been good defensively and they're one of the worst defensive teams, but in the end, they still end up first place in the conference. It's like, I don't want to say it doesn't matter because it does big picture-wise in terms of can they win in the playoffs. But in terms of like, during the time the award is being talked about, if they end up first place in the West because they're still so damn good with him on the court despite those defensive deficiencies, then to me, it's like, well... That doesn't change the fact that he's been the most valuable. Well, in the West, but there are two conferences, Cash. Yes, I don't know that's if fair. you're aware of this, but that's fair. the Eastern Conference does exist. It does. And the Milwaukee Bucks are currently first in the East, and there's a player there who very much dominates at both ends of the court that would have a pretty strong case in his own right. So this is why we wait to see how things play out, and we don't give out hardware less than 50% of the way through the season. so But we do talk about it on Make or Miss. Apparently. Not <laughs> right. by choice, in my Let's, case. Uh, okay, let us re- <laughs> let me round us out here with this. Uh, your favorite team to talk about and to spit on, Cash. The Phoenix Suns, after a really strong start to the season that had us, you know, including them in our episode when we were talking about the best teams in the West. They were very much one of the teams that we considered and made a case for and against, but mostly for. But since then, they're 4-7 and seven in their last 11 games. A pair of those losses came against the Rockets. Their most recent loss came against the Wizards. And I think it's important to point out that a lot of those losses came without Devin Booker in the lineup. He's been unbelievable and by far their best, most important player this season. Uh, so we can't judge them too harshly based on the games that they have played without him. But it is worth pointing out in their last game, Things have been quiet on the sort of DeAndre Ayton front after the very turbulent offseason between him and the franchise. But him and Monty Williams butting heads on the sidelines in that game. Not, I mean, if they were still winning, 
you know, if they'd been on a roll in this recent stretch, I think maybe it would be a little bit easier to brush that aside. But just given the friction between those two guys, the fact apparently they didn't talk the entire offseason after the way that last season ended with Aiton getting benched in their last game. Make or miss cash, things are about to come unraveled in Phoenix. You could take that to mean whatever you want. <laughs> okay, if I could take it to mean whatever I want, then I'll call it a make because I do think the Aiton conundrum is going to have to be addressed at some point. He can be traded as of January 15th, although he has some veto power uh, until a, the year anniversary of his new contract. But I do think... I think he ends up getting moved. I still say that. I've said it like three times. I think the the Suns should be putting him and a bunch of picks on the table and calling the Lakers for AD. Uh, and I just think in general, like the, if you've watched this team enough, you see some of the Monty and Aiton stuff, you just see the way they perform like night to night. The vibes aren't right here. And they probably haven't been right since they got absolutely embarrassed on their home court in Game 7 against Dallas. And then it seems like everything started to go wrong this season once they, when they once again got embarrassed by the Mavs this time in Dallas in a playoff rematch a few weeks ago. So yeah, I'm going to call it a make. My definition of unraveling for them would be that they kind of fall a little further back from contention for that like top seed in the West. They go into the playoffs just not looking like the true blue contender they've been the last couple of years. And then they flame out within the first two rounds, maybe even the first round, depending on matchup. Um, and and then, yeah, whether Aiton's even part of the team by then or not. So yeah, I'm going to call that a make. I would just say, I think that Booker has elevated himself to a level where it would be very hard to justify a move that, represented a step back for oh for sure this season sure. so you know potentially we are going to see Aiden get moved but I think that it would have to be in at least a lateral move you know one where like they get back a an equivalent type of player or a package of players that equals overall equivalence in terms of skill and it just improves the vibes I guess <laughs> and then like that that is how they move forward because I think they owe it to him with the way that he has played and the way that he has carried them for points this season to give it an honest go. Because like we've said many times, nobody's running away with the West. They, they could very much be that team. But obviously that's going to be difficult if they're having all these interpersonal conflicts. And so I'm very curious to see what they do to navigate this because they they have as good a, a reason as anyone to, to kind of either push forward and like try and get better or at least you know, stay the course. And obviously the, you know, the eight and situation is complicating that right now. So uh, between him and Crowder, like they're going to be one of the most active teams you'd have to think uh, leading up to the trade deadline. Where do they go? I don't think the AD thing's going to happen. Unfortunately, I would love to see it, but uh, I don't know if the Lakers are going to be on board with that, even though AD is injured right now, yeah. predictably. Yeah, exactly. Part of the reason why I think it should happen from the Lakers perspective. But anyway, mm -hmm. there's another make or miss for you the last make or miss of 2022 we're going to try to come back with a second episode later this week probably friday but it won't contain make or miss so we'll uh, revisit this segment in the new year until friday's episode i will hit you with a fan shout out this one's going to go to brent benton a lakers fan in roseville california who sent the most thorough email a Pound the Rock listener seeking a fan shout out has ever sent so thorough and long that Brent, unfortunately, I can't come close to addressing all of these things uh, in our limited time window here. 
I will just tell Wolfon and the viewers though, like what Brent did is he sent me an, a long email with a bunch of make or misses to essentially show how into the show he is. Um, one of them was like make or miss captain vocabulary. Joe Wolfon cringes at the redundancy every time cash calls him the fellow co-host. Uh, <laughs> there's like, yeah, man, it was like, Make or miss every time Cash gets excited about the I crazy- do, by the way. I cringe every time. <laughs> I, I, You know, since Brent's email, I just call you uh, co-host. I, I didn't know what sparked the change, but thank Brent. you, Brent. Um, make or miss every time Cash gets excited about the crazy listenership from insert exotic locale here. We're really talking about the same half dozen Raptors fans with VPNs. There's um, <laughs> another good one. Uh Make or miss any promises to control, apologize about, or any reference at all to the length of a PTR episode only serves to actually increase the length of that particular show. Uh, Make or miss my teasing demonstrates a disturbing level of attention to PTR. And that's only four of like 10 he sent. So Brent, appreciate thoroughness. Again, apologies. We can't get to every single one, but trust me, I read it. I saw it. And I very much do appreciate a disturbing level of devotion to pound the rock we appreciate you man thank you for supporting the show clearly the way you do uh like i always say you and others doing that is exactly why wolf on and i are able to do what we do so the usual call out if you want a shout out like brent you don't have to send me a 1000 word email though you're more than welcome to if you want but just reach out whether it is email joe.wolfon at the score.com joseph.casharo at the score.com twitter at Joey underscore double Y-O-U or at Joseph Casharo, or you can find me on Instagram at Joe underscore 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 cash. Hit us up. Let us know how long you've been listening to the show, where you listen from, and you know what you like or don't like about the show, any feedback, and we will get you a shout out on a future episode. I'll also add that if you're a score app user by the handle the old Kanye, hit us up for a proper shout out because I did uh, notice that you commented in app a few episodes ago that a 70 minute episode of pound the rock meant Christmas came early for you. So the old Kanye on the score app, hit us up on social media and we'll get you a proper shout out. If you want one anyway, until one of those uh, future shout outs and future episodes for Joe Wolfon for William Liu. I'm Joseph Kasharo pound the rock. 